Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Hi, I'm actor and comedian Griffin Newman. And I'm film critic David Sim. Together, we host Blank Check, a movie podcast where week by week we overanalyze directors' complete filmographies. In each new series, we discuss filmmakers who experience early success and are issued a series of blank checks by Hollywood to make their own crazy passion projects. Now, sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. We're joined each week by incredible guests, including actors, writers, and directors. So you can follow Blank Check with Griffin and David on Spotify for new episodes every Sunday. I am Paul Cutis of Borg. Winning your bet is futile. Everyone and welcome to Unspooled the, the Bet. That's right, Amy. The Bet. The Bet. We'll get into that in just a second. But first, let me introduce my co-host. She is uh, a, a true, a true champion of film. A, a wonderful writer. She is uh, often a critic for the New York Times. Please welcome Amy Nicholson. Oh, thank you, Paul. It is true. I am a champion of film, and I am also. A loser of bets. And Paul, you, yes, comedian, writer, actor, multi-hyphenate, adding to your multi-hyphenate trophy by saying you win basically every bet we've ever done. I think you have won every bet we've Ooh, ever done. And you tricky. won this one as well. Yes. Yes, we've had a long history of bets, but very rarely have we paid off our bet. And, what? Uh, I yes. wore a jersey for you. Oh, I wore yes. a Clipper jersey in yes. public for you because I lost Well, I meant on the actual show. And uh, you know what? That Clipper jersey looked great on you. I was happy to lend it to you. Yeah, but I'd be this still is... wearing it if the Clippers were in the playoffs. I oh. know, I know. Unfortunately, we had injuries. But again, it's not a basketball podcast. It's a movie podcast. And we bet, would Andrea Riceborough appear at the Oscars? You were adamant that she wouldn't. I was watching the red carpet. I was looking at everything I could find. When I saw that picture of her attending the Oscars, I was so psyched because I knew that when I won... I could do whatever I wanted for an episode. And I thought long and I thought hard. What could I do for the show? Is it something I just want to make you watch that you would hate? That would be not fun. Is it something that I would just want to watch it would never even have a chance to make the list? Okay, sure, but maybe that's a little too selfish. And what I stumbled upon was doing this, an episode about Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I just finished watching Star Trek Picard season three, which is a fantastic 10 episode story with the entire original cast of Next Generation. You don't have to watch season one or season two. It is just, I thought, absolutely perfect. And a lot of people kept on saying, oh, this is the send-off movie they didn't have. And I was like, well, is there a great Star Trek film? And now, Amy, talk to me a little bit about your experience with Star Trek. Like, where where do you fall in the world of being a fan? Are you a fan? Are you not a fan? What, what do you think? I'm not not a fan, but mm-hmm. I've always felt like the galaxy was so big, it was easier just to be like, don't know, don't care. Because in many ways, this to me, or Star Trek in general, would appeal to more of your sensibilities in the sense that it's it's headier. It's a little bit more based in, I think, a smarter, true science fiction show, not just an action movie in space. I have liked every Star Trek pretty much that I've come across. I've just not sought them out. So I'm glad that you are 
grabbing me by my rice burrows and dragging me to watch <laughs> this movie because we are going to be talking about First Contact. And I did like this film. I'll just say that from the get-go. I'm excited. And I wanted to not just make this episode about First Contact because I think First Contact is probably arguably one of the two most popular Star Trek films. The other would be Wrath of Khan. And a little while ago, Amy and I went on The Pod Directive, which is an amazing podcast uh, hosted by Paul F. Tompkins and Tawny Newsom. And it's everything that you ever wanted to know about Star Trek. The two of them break it down. They have amazing guests on. We're talking about like Michelle Yeoh and Jonathan Frakes, you know, and everyone who comes on has a history with Trek. And we got to talk about Wrath of Khan there. And we really picked apart that movie. And you like that film. I love talking to them. And I thought, who better to talk about the state of Star Trek in cinema and First Contact than those two hosts? So we went on their show many years ago. And now they're going to come on our show as we break down First contact. Does that sound like a fair bet winner here? I'm a f- I want you to remember this next time you win a bet. I will remember this for the first time I win a bet. And hopefully okay. I will someday win a bet. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. But so before we unspool it, let's just give people a brief history of Star Trek First Contact. It is the second uh, Star Trek Next Generation film, the first being a shared film with William Shatner, which was met with. Okay, it wasn't really a full Next Generation film just yet, but this is the first time they're off uh, by themselves. It is directed by Jonathan Frakes, who also plays uh, Commander Riker on the show. And this is a film about Picard facing off against his, his nemesis, the Borg. The Borg who have haunted him ever since he was captured back in season four of Star Trek Next Generation. This has been his Achilles heel. And this movie starts right there as the Borg cube. If you don't know anything about the Borg, they are assimilators of culture. They just take everything and they merge it into a collective consciousness. And what they actually do is destroy everything in their path. But in their mind, they are in search of making everything perfect. So in this movie, when we open up, we find Patrick Stewart called to Earth because the Borg is attacking. As they engage the Borg, they are sent back in time and they have a chance to stop the Borg from stopping, you guessed it, first contact. That is the moment in which uh, Zephyrin Cochran, an amazing uh, astrophysicist, I would imagine, uh, has created warp drive and the Borg are trying to stop that from happening. If they did stop that from happening, then we would never have space travel. We would never have the United Federation of Planets, which, of course, is what the Enterprise is a part of. Can they do it? And can they get back home? It's all there. It's a big episode. So, Amy, for this episode, let's make it so. Paul, Tani, welcome to the show. Welcome to this debate. Is a Star Trek movie worthy of going into space? Uh, this is this is really where uh, I feel like people have been wanting the answer to this question for a very long time, and I couldn't think of two better experts than the two of you to help uh, debate this with us. We're, we're honored, of course. Yes, I, I love <laughs> and, to be welcomed right into a fight. Yeah. <laughs> is the and, pressure on? Frankly, I'm sick of people asking this question everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> Let me it's a buy space my groceries movie, in but peace. But does it belong in yes. space? <laughs> I'm trying to buy my people... house weekly. <laughs> it is what keeps Fox News and CNN on the air. <laughs> just people on either side of this issue. Um, I, the reason why I wanted to kind of break this all down was I love Star Trek. And I know you both love Star Trek. And it's one of those interesting things where it's a it is a TV show. It continues to be a TV show in many different incarnations. And they have also made these movies in three different types. You know, you have the J.J. Abrams, you have the Next Gen, you have the original series. And I love a lot of the uh, original series. We talked on your show, The Pod Directive, we talked about Wrath of Khan. And I think that is a great Star Trek film. A classic. 
Yes. And I, and by the way, I love a lot of them. I, I can go through all of them. I, but I know also I'm a nerd and I can get into Star Trek four. I know when people like poo poo it, the whales one, I'm like, yeah, the whales one. Come on. It's awesome. Whales are great. What are you yeah. against whales? Whoa, what are you upset I hate about? Whales. Fuck whales. Why, why are you angry at that? I hate when people dismiss it. But um, but yeah, I was looking at this and I was, after watching Picard season three, I was like, oh, that may be the best way to kind of do a Star Trek movie, like a mini series or something. Because it feels like whenever you try to do a movie, you a little bit break the tone of what Star Trek is in a way. Like, because Star Trek, I think, is more episodic, more small, you know, in... In scope or like a week to week episode. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree, especially for the next generation era films. It, it was a bit of an abrupt tonal shift sometimes to have a feature length story when, yeah, most of that show was episode of the week, alien of the week. You know, it's a space procedural of a different ridged forehead guy coming on telling you about his problem and our merry cast of sweet family weirdos has to deal with it and so to to then stretch that out into a two-hour thing that you know needs to have more action needs to have bigger setups needs to have more you know just needs to be more cinematic it, it does it changes the feel and so i think that's why some of the next gen movies are beloved and some are maybe a little less beloved but i, I find things to love about all of them speaking as someone who recently rewatched all of the movies in the last year one of the things that I like about the tonal shift in the movies is that because it is it is a essentially a long episode, there's more room for the characters to act and to relate to each other in a way mm -hmm. that they can't on the TV show because of time. Because they have to like, we got to get the story out. We can have a look here or there, or whatever, but we right. can't. You know, <laughs> there's not there's not room for everybody to have. Um, you know, sort of quieter moments, you know, and uh, moments of relating to each other that last a little longer than two seconds. You're saying that in the movies, space is infinite? Amy, you've passed my test. You're the only one. You're the only one. Wow. Yeah, Paul has a test every time we do an episode. There's a, there's a test. I, I like that. And I, it's very Willy Wonka-esque. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. You know, it, it's funny because in watching Nemesis recently, and I rewatched all the next gen ones uh, in the last couple of weeks, I was surprised because it gets a lot of hate. But in many ways, the first 40 or so minutes are nice and clean. It's like, oh, I like these characters. This is, you know, these are the characters that I like from the show doing things. And then mm -hmm. it gets a little, uh, it gets a little messy at parts or maybe just in the tail end. But they're not as bad as I remember, but I think the anticipation of them being great when they came out Absolutely. was a lot higher. Absolutely, because anytime it's the same with uh, we, we're not really supposed to mention this uh, at home, Tony and I, but it's the same with Star Wars. Mm. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now who is that? So, sorry to this franchise, um, but to me, I'm at a point now where I've learned to forgive in advance, a lot of the flaws of these things. Yes. Because it's just more of the thing that I like already. You know what I right. mean? So it's like the season of whatever wasn't perfect, but it was more Star Trek, you know? So that yeah. I enjoy. But but it is that I remember the feeling of anticipation when those movies would come out and like, okay, this one, let's make this one good. And then you start to do the math on the evens versus the odds and all right. that stuff. And mm -hmm. that colors your opinion. And so going back and watching them, I had no problem with any of them. <laughs> I was right. like, yeah, I this is fun. No problem. Yeah, this is fun. I, I mean, I enjoyed this. Yeah, Jonathan, absolutely. Jonathan Frakes talks about how directing Insurrection put him in movie jail, how he wasn't allowed to direct movies after that. And I'm like, why? It's fucking great. Everyone's yeah. all greased up and acting young and Donna <laughs> yeah. Murphy's in it. It's great. Yeah. yeah there yeah. is a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah. Are there any cases of directors turning down a Star Trek because they're 
aware that it's an unlucky number? And they're like, <laughs> call me the next I time? About, I don't know about the number, but I did hear a rumor that Ridley Scott turned this one down. Oh, really? What? I don't so, know if that's verified or not. It's literally something I heard. I don't know where I heard it. Oh, well, uh, I know that it's been talked about on your show, but I figured we could maybe all go around the horn and just say, like, what is your trek? Like, what do you like if you had to only pick one? Let's keep it in the enterprise world. Like, you know, if you had to pick one of these casts, uh, what is the one that you feel the most uh, connection to? They're not an enterprise cast. My my okay. cast is always Deep Space Nine. That's I mean, me too. I love Deep Space Nine. Honest. And I, I yeah. and that I feel like there's a comic book out right now that brings Cisco back mm-hmm. and I'm very excited about it and it's very good. But yes, I know that's it's tough. Right? Like, but of uh, maybe of the movies. Let's let's keep it in the movie realm. Like of the movie realm, uh original, JJ or next gen, where do you like if you had to just only had those handful of films to watch? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would choose Next Gen just because the strength of those movies is the same thing that was the strength of the series, which is the ensemble, you know, this this wackadoo space family that I that I love so much. But I got to give a lot of credit to Trek 2009 in, a, in Into Darkness and Beyond because they they really did usher in this modern era of Trek. Like none of us would have jobs on Lower Decks. We wouldn't have the pod directive. We wouldn't right. have any of the new series if it wasn't for the JJ-verse of films. So... I, I even though the Kirk era stuff is not really my favorite flavor, I'm always like, man, 2009 Star Trek brought all of this back. So I'm always grateful to that. Yeah, it's next gen for me. And I think as far as the series go, I think next gen narrowly edges out Deep Space Nine just because of the um, they go more places. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I love that cast so much. And they are an ensemble in a way that the original series cast never really got to be. And, and having rewatched uh, TOS, not the, I think over, over quarantine, I was surprised at how not in a lot of episodes, some of the, um, the, the supporting characters were uh, just not there at all. I'm glad that they got brought back for the the TOS movies and they are now so iconic but I I feel like the the next gen series and movies improved on the dynamic of the original and said let's really explore the lives of these other people on this ship and rather than filter it all through one and a half guys essentially <laughs> And Amy, I know that this is a trickier question for you because you're not like the biggest Star Trek fan. Uh, you know, did I have my first sip of beer with James Doohan? Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, we learned all about that. We love that. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, but like, where do you fall on this as a like, more casual uh, Trek observer? Did you even grow up like, because I feel like there is a certain age group that grew up just watching Next Generation as well. It was like, oh yeah, no, I watched every episode of that. I, and people don't even consider themselves a Star Trek fan. It's like, no, but that was the show that was on and we all watched it. And that was, that's what we did. I'm realizing now just sitting in the esteemed company of the three of you that I think because the people who love Star Trek have been so passionate about Star Trek my whole life. I always figured I almost didn't even have a claim to start liking it. And I'm now realizing mm-hmm. I've just hobbled myself this my whole life by being like, <laughs> I can't know about that because I'll never compare to anybody <laughs> who genuinely knows about it. But I have seen bits of everything and I do have opinions and I really do like Patrick Stewart as a captain. Like if I had to be on a ship, I would want him to be my captain. So I can only answer in the captain terms, feeling like I haven't seen everything of everything. But like he is the person I gravitate to. Yeah, I I would have to agree that in the if I have to just pick a franchise, I grew up watching Roger Moore James Bonds, <laughs> and I was like, that's my James Bond. Yeah, and then yeah, I found yeah. Sean Connery, and I was like, oh, I get it now, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, and I feel the same way about uh, the original series. Like I love the original series. I have those parts of those movies like burned into my brain. But I think, you know, the ensemble here is better. They, I think that they exceed the J.J. Abrams ones in the sense that I love that ensemble as well. But you had seven years with this cast. And I feel like I like that Picard is a little bit of an egghead. I mean, like he's like he's not. Are you he's saying anti. that because of his hair? I am. You know, like I'm a bald man. I can speak to egghead uh. to egghead. <laughs> uh, but I mean, but like, you know, he's he's not cocksure he you know he's he's smart and he's calculated and he uses his crew and the whole idea of like the next generation world is like you know you're you have all these people with you to help make a decision it's not just by yourself 
which I think brings us to this movie we're talking about today, which is like First Contact, which arguably I think is what people consider the best next-gen movie. I, I'm open if you disagree with me, but I feel like that's that's a pretty fair thing to say across the board. It does have the critically highest rating. It yes. is, the critics have said so, but have the experts. I think you can also tell by the fact that people who aren't huge Trek fans, most people have seen it. Most people our age or older, they've seen yeah. that one. And they don't know why, but they're just like, that was the one I saw. Like, I think it had the most mainstream kind of appeal. This is a sci-fi movie with Star Trek characters. It's very similar to Aliens, maybe, or, you know, it has like an, a, a vibe like that. And I would say that one of the things that pulls me out when I watch it, slightly, is, oh, this is not the Picard that I know. This is like action Picard. And and I was doing some research and I read that originally Picard was supposed to be Riker and Riker was supposed to be Picard. And then Patrick Stewart was like, oh, no, 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 no. I want to be on the ship. Oh, uh, the action. Yeah, he wanted the action stuff. And and so they swapped them. Oh, wow. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because I could see why, you know, Picard's an anthropologist. I could see why you would place him with the historical figure to, you know, help usher him into creating the the timeline that they need him to stick to so that they can all exist. So I totally understand from a screenwriter's perspective why he'd put Picard there. And then I fully understand from an actor's perspective why Patrick Stewart was like, fuck you. I want to have a phaser rifle and I want to yeah. crawl around in the Jeffries tube with Alfred <laughs> yeah, Woodard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if that, that we would have been denied that great moment of when they're finally taking off in the rocket. And Riker is it? Riker looks at Jordy like he puts the music. He puts uh, you know Spirit in the Sky on, yeah. or, or Magic Carpet Ride. Magic, Magic Carpet Ride. And they have that look, and it's like that. Picard would not have done that. Would not have looked over and smiled. You know, like we're going on a fun adventure here. You know. But I also want to say my pet peeve in science fiction movies is when people from the far future, the mid twenty first century, here listen to music that my dad listened to. Because I'm like, yes. no. Like, Zephram would be listening to music that's out now. Like, if it was yeah. his oldies, he'd be listening to, like, Little Peep. It's of him just ooby doobying <laughs> everywhere. I'm like, no. No, 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 You don't no. think he's listening to Roy Orbison and Fog Hat? Come on now. If you can find me a, a punk-ass 11-year-old alive right now listening to Fog Hat, maybe. Well, this, <laughs> is, like, <laughs> this is the same thing. Like, J.J. Abrams did it, too. Like, the opening of, uh, yeah, of yeah, his. Yeah. They were listening to Beastie Boys. It's yeah. tricky because, uh, by Run DMC, uh, but, it's, uh, <laughs> but it's like... You want the audience to feel that, but it really does say like, wow, are we are we saying the Beastie Boys are sticking around, to, you know, until like for, you know, hundreds of years later, yeah. right? Of it's, all of hip hop? Yeah. yeah of all. <laughs> <laughs> there are some kind of, I've, I've been privy to some really fascinating conversations about how those decisions get made about time period, about what music can signify what, because... It's true. If you if you put a song in that's very 2023, you know, if all of a sudden my character on Lower Decks, Mariner, pops in an isolinear chip and she's listening to Ice Spice, Boy's a Liar or something, it's just gonna, <laughs> it's gonna pull you the fuck out of it. It's gonna pull you out of it right now. And I think in 25 years, it's gonna pull you out of it. It's yeah. almost like there's this unwritten or maybe kind of written rule uh, back in the in the annals of Star Trek HQ that are like, okay, let's kick it back at least like 20 years from when the 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 film or show is made so that it feels classic and eternal and timeless into the far future. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like the music drops in First Contact are better or worse than the music drops in like Guardians of the Galaxy? I, I feel like they actually made the effort to justify the music in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, Guardians um, is at least on a Zune. Yeah, but um, with the, the I, I'm not a fan of needle drops, and even though I have enjoyed moments with needle drops, I feel like I've known enough people that compose music for movies that you are robbing someone of a chance to be creative, and you are also kind of cheating by it's stolen your, valor. Your, your provo- it's stolen valor. You're you're like yeah. <laughs> I made that moment happen. It's like well, that song made that moment happen, right? Yeah, you, you know, yeah. you just decided. Rocket Raccoon like, listening to Creep made that moment happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're pulling an emotional response. Yeah. yeah, but there was something I was watching the trailer for Marvels, and I'm excited to see Marvels. But I was like, wow, I'm into this trailer. I'm like, oh, I'm actually just really into this Beastie Boys song. Like I haven't heard right. Intergalactic in a little bit, and it was yeah. like it was triggering me and i know that in um in movie trailers what they'll do a lot is take 
the orchestral music of another successful film. For a long time, they took like Braveheart and put it on their movies that just they wanted you to get that same feeling. It is yeah. like it's yeah. it's like like a smell. It's like, oh, yeah, pump it in, pump it mm-hmm. in that, you know. Well, but th- and for yeah. the nerds like myself, I do feel like the the themes of Star Trek itself getting recycled and reused and repurposed, that's starting to do that for me. So like every time I hear that first contact theme, whether it's used within this movie or within uh, the first episode of season three of Lower Decks, which is a first contact homage, when yeah. they used that theme it like made my Mm -hmm. heart swell even though i knew it was coming i'd read the script i still went oh my god the song and we also used magic carpet ride as a needle drop as probably our (laughs) most expensive for an animated show probably (laughs) the most expensive (laughs) bit of music in the entire three seasons of the show that are out right now and it that got a a reaction from me too but not as big as the as the theme Yeah. yeah 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 Well, now, just just so you know, Tony, you are right. Uh, Ridley Scott and John McTiernan did uh, turn oh, down John reportedly. John McTiernan, too. Wow. Yeah, wow. John, and I could get why Ridley Scott would want to do it, because it feels like, oh, maybe this is a little too similar to what I've done. But I do think that Jonathan Frakes does a great job, because this Absolutely. movie yep. looks really good. Like, this movie looks great. That opening moment of Picard, and this is the other thing, too. It's interesting to take a villain that we've tracked for a handful of years. I guess the board came in like season four. I I remember. Yeah. yeah. And introduced them. And this is his revenge movie in a way, but also you don't need to know anything about it. I just like the movie and I like the style of it. And I think that when you put Jonathan Frakes behind the camera, he also is giving you these little moments because I think he knows each actor and is letting them play within their character. For sure. For sure. He's showing us their friendship. It would have been such a different movie if he had not directed it. I think there would have been set pieces that would have been enjoyable, but I yeah. don't think it would have been as fun uh, a mm-hmm. movie. And um, I think the emotional moments would not have, um, I don't know. But it's also, it just makes sense. When when these people have been doing these characters for such a long time, it's almost like to ask somebody to come in from outside the family, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And direct you as this person that you've played, you know, countless times. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of a tall order, you know. It's a, that's a big ask for for a director and for a cast. And I think it just makes more sense that it's somebody that they know and trust. They know for a fact he knows who who my guy is. He knows who my person is. And I th- there's a shorthand now, um, and I trust him if he gives me uh, an adjustment on a scene or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I think it, I think it makes a huge, huge difference. And he's also been privy to the conversations between that cast of like, you know, you've been playing a role for seven years. You have opinions about things you wish that your Absolutely. character was able to do or yeah. ways you wish you'd been showcased. And so I feel like with the exception of Gates McFadden, who I think was done a little bit of a disservice in this script, she just doesn't show up in it enough for, for my taste. Yeah, But I, I do feel like most of the other characters were given a little moment of, I just imagine there was a conversation, like everyone had a one-on-one with Frakes of like, you know, I really wish like we could see Data modulating that emotional chip a bit more. Or like mm-hmm. Jordy being like, you know, I could see LeVar being like, I-, I just want like a moment of joy for him to like teach Cochran about the statue and have this like joyous nerdy moment. I don't know. I just imagine that these conversations are so much easier when you're having them with your your friend, family member and co-star like Frakes yeah. was for all of them. It does feel like he was having a lot of fun, especially with like Brent Spiner playing Data. You yeah. know, like everything that Data gets to do in this movie, I just enjoyed. Like Data's <laughs> sexual awakening. Is it fair to call it that? Him him feeling the feel of like breeze on his arm hairs. It's a reawakening. Episode two of the next generation is Data's awakening, which is crazy. <laughs> crazy in a repilot to have your android learn how to fuck. Like yeah. that's wild. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, you so wait, it. okay, wait. When he says it's been eight years and seven months and sixteen days and four minutes since he's used his program sexuality that he he has he has a history yeah. of fucking yes. he's referring to episode <laughs> season one episode two the naked now episode naked two of episode season two one <laughs> after encounter at far point which was a 90 minute odyssey of robes and chess pieces and yeah. a, a trial and shakespearean monologues and episode two is everyone gets a horny virus and tasha yar the security <laughs> chief is like hey android do you know how to fuck? And he goes, I'm trained in a variety of techniques. And then he enters the bridge like 
<laughs> like a like a commedia dell'arte <laughs> clown he stumbles in like he's drunk because he's fucked for the first time it is wild this is this is what happens to me in my writer's room when people go oh star trek is kind of chaste star trek isn't that horny star trek and i'm like exhibit a b c and fucking d <laughs> no there's so much horniness in star trek so oh, much. And, and i mean and these movies always are like tinged with horniness. I mean, like yeah. we were yeah. talking about like insurrection, they all get young, they all want to fuck, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, it's like there, there is like, <laughs> there is this thing like the uh, nemesis, like I feel like you're waiting for Riker and Troy to eventually fuck and they're going to a yes. naked wedding and I'm so angry that <laughs> this is like where I got angry because the whole idea is that <laughs> they get married in a regular like earth ceremony in the beginning of uh, that one and it's like, well now we're going to go to uh, her home world to and Beta Z yeah. and everyone's naked and that's the running joke like Picard's like I gotta get to the gym we gotta do this <laughs> and they do have this ending but I was like I wanna see the na- I you can't just you dangle the, the naked wedding and not <laughs> no, give me the wedding yeah. we need the naked wedding wow nice but verb the- <laughs> choice dude <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because you know Picard finally I think gets a little bit more of a connection or some more time with uh, you know, Gates McFadden uh, in the Picard season three, but here he's got to find another love interest like right away in a weird way. Like, uh, you know, like he has like a weirdly chased thing. It's like, oh, if things are different. We'd be in love. But, you know, he's always got to leave these women that he falls in love with. Yeah. But he also like doesn't, I don't know. They, I, I, first of all, I'm positive that in every movie, Patrick Stewart has like a grease clause. Like he has that, what's that on set stuff? It's called like Egyptian magic, which is really just like oh, the yes. petroleum yeah. that yeah. they smear all yeah, over yeah, you. yeah, yeah. I swear every movie he is greasier than the last, whether it's meant to be sexy, <laughs> sweat, or just sweat. I don't know. So I'm I have a lot of theories him. on this as a as again, as a bald man, we gotta do something. <laughs> Number one, I have a beard because I'm a bald man. Like again, I gotta cover up I gotta cover up some skin on my face. And I think if you don't have a beard, you gotta grease it up. You gotta get we gotta do something to like so it's up. too much too much head is at you at all times. And we gotta I'll we make gotta my dis- whole body head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my whole body. <laughs> if I don't have hair, I must have grease. That's I gotta fast. get grease. Give me grease. That's, Give me <laughs> that's made the most sense out of anything you've ever oil seen. Up, uh, oil up my muscles. It's it's a very uh it's you know, it's a warrior. I also think it makes him look tough in this movie. Like he definitely is going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He looks like an action guy for sure. And my only real bone to pick about the love interest of it all is that I do feel like I've and I don't know who's like, you know, at fault for this. I don't know if it's screenwriters or what, but to cast Alfre Woodard is like she was she's such an incredible actor. She's so fun. She's so like kind of quirky. She stands out from the rest of the cast. She Mm -hmm. can talk to Picard in a different way than the rest of the cast. And I feel like in any other movie or if they had cast a white woman, that would have been a love interest for him. And instead, what they did was go like, okay, well, we'll we'll put a black woman in it, but then they're going to have this weird, like, platonic, sexually charged platonic friendship action vibe where he kisses her on the cheek at the end, like she's a little (laughs) kid seeing Santa in the mall. And I was like, (laughs) what the fuck is this? Either have sexual tension or don't, or make her not into him, but don't, like, her eyelids flutter at the end, like, oh, he kissed me. And I'm like, "What? what is that? Let's... Let's just call it what it is. You cast a black woman. You didn't want to see Patrick Stewart have the hots for her because it was 1996 yeah. or whatever. And I blame the studio for that. I don't blame Freight. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's also a thing in, in action movies that's always, I don't know who it's for. Is it a condescending, like, this is for the ladies to have a right. big kiss at the end or whatever? Like, what the, I mean, maybe it's just me. If I were in any of these situations that you see in action movies, I the absolute last goddamn thing I'm thinking about <laughs> is falling in love. Well, this is it. This movie takes place over the course of like hours. It's like it doesn't deserve a kiss. Like no. they are running for their fucking lives. Yeah. This woman has yeah, been yeah, yeah. sucked up to space. Like there's not enough time to even make a a full emotional connection. I don't even think he knows her name. I feel like that's also that's that's his yeah, very. Does she trek- ever say her name? <laughs> yeah. Does he ever say Lily? Oh no no no! Yeah, yeah, when she hands over the phaser, it's one of my favorite lines actually because he finally gets her to hand over the phaser. She's been pointing at him. And he goes, mm. "What's your name?" She goes, "Lily." And then he's like, "You set this thing to." like I'm a kill you mode you would have yeah. turned me into dust and she goes it's my first ray gun <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean I want to say that like it made me a little sad that kiss because they've had a really great time he's a pretty good guy the light on his cheekbones just looks amazing his dimples he's so handsome and now she's <laughs> got to live reason. her whole future 
knowing she'll never see him again because of temporal time shifts and stuff like yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be my nightmare. Like if my maybe <laughs> Picard's a dream guy, if my dream guy showed up for like six hours, I knew he was alive and then I'd never see him again. That <laughs> fucks with your entire future. How does she ever fall for somebody after that? Do you think you go then looking for that guy's like ancestor just to see if there's a similar vibe? Well, oh, if so you, you fuck you the ancestor, does that mean great, 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 great grandmother? Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, that is weird. I but guess. Again, I'm just gonna say I don't <laughs> think that there's enough there there in this relationship because there's no. a moment here, and I love and look, I love this movie, and I'm I'm I can be a little harsher on it because we're having this conversation with it, but it's like you know it stops here and now and he's like he's basically railing about this thing that she has no clue so he has to like (laughs) articulate why he's angry be angry and then she's like well let me tell you why you shouldn't be angry it's a very complicated role because it's like let me explain my family history be mad at my family and then you're going to talk me down from that like it's 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 all the while teaching you about future technology what everything because i'm like most yeah. of that six hours of her on the ship should have just been her like accidentally sticking her hand in like a replicator because she thinks it's an automatic <laughs> sink or something right. like she she should be very confused this is a big day <laughs> well these guys throw the idea of like not interfering out the window in this oh movie. yeah one of the, the, yeah, the prime, yeah, yeah. Directive prime directive is smashed to bits absolutely not allowed like and they're going hey zephyr cochran you're gonna have a statue you're yeah. gonna be this you say this and you see you see why he like james cromwell goes nuts it's like yeah. they made him nuts yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they're in the ship with them they're making sure it goes on it's like i'm like you guys are really you're really goosing it here and even yeah. patrick stewart like oh i'll take you up and here everyone's just like doling out info willy-nilly because <laughs> like what should have happened is they should have gotten back to their present timeline and just like five of their ensigns should have disappeared and like you know and <laughs> Well, Troy should have just like not had bangs or something. Like something should have happened. Well, it's also like so like they didn't have a moment where they say to Zephyr Cochran, like, hey, never tell anyone that <laughs> yeah. this happened. Like, you gotta be cool, dude. I know you're drunk and you like to dance and party, but you gotta keep your mouth shut. Because it really does seem like he's the worst person to yeah. give all this information to, or at least the way that we see him yeah. uh, as being a, a drunk dance maniac. <laughs> Roy Orbison obsessed dance maniac. (laughs) But desperate times call for desperate measures. And in order to defeat the the scourge of the Borg, uh, this is what had to happen. (laughs) The Borg who can never be defeated yet somehow always are. There, you know, go go to sleep. One of the uh, the classic ways of defeating the Borg. (laughs) Sleepy time. Go to sleep, guys. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Amy, this is the first time that you ever saw First Contact? I wonder if I saw it in a mall. Okay. I feel like I might have seen it in a mall very randomly. But it is the sure. first time I've, I've really consciously watched it. I actually really, really liked it. Like, I loved Alice Krieg's Borg Queen. Oh, yes. she's amazing. She's just so chilling and evil and floating above him. And I was maybe adding on some loneliness to Data. Or there was the line that Data said that kind of, like, set a tone for me with Data early on where he was, you know, creeping in the aliens kind of sequence of, like, I'm scared. What's happening in this hallway? And he says, Captain, I believe I am experiencing anxiety. Oh, and, yeah. you know, as a person trying to figure out how to deal with like anxiety myself. I was like, that just really hit me. And so I was very much in Data's brain the whole time of like, Mm. how do you feel emotions? But how do you like keep your emotions in check? And what if you didn't? Is that okay? And like, I really loved his emotional journey in this. And part of me, I will say, 
was sort of hoping he could figure out a way to wind up with the Borg Queen if he was happy. And when he said he was only tempted by her for like 0.68 seconds, I was like, that kiss was longer than that. And I don't know if I believe him. But Amy, that would have brought down the entire Federation if Tina and the Borg Queen had had a happy ending. I mean, I will also say that, like, talk about horniness. The Borg Queen and Picard have this horniness, and Mm -hmm. that's also continued. And there is something, like, very... For somebody who is... The way that she is, it was so smart that they didn't cover her face. Like, we yeah. can get to see full eyes, also greasy, very greasy, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. greasy, greasy together. Their bed sheets would be a mess. But I do think, like, uh, there is a sexuality there. Her whole character is sexual. And I don't know if that's a Borg thing, but this movie really, Borgs don't seem sexual until this movie, really. Yeah, there's no reason to give her floating torso that great rack, right? But she's like, <laughs> no, not a true. great rack. No. Yeah, she's in like a bardo cut like yeah. uh, neckline. We don't. We didn't need all that. They assimilated the best dresses and the best racks, and they. She's got this. Is it? This is the best of. That is yep. the best. Beautifully You're- veined and marbled like an expensive cheese. Uh-huh. <laughs> she does look oh, like a nice yeah. piece of she, blue cheese. That she looks like a horny hungry. piece of cheese. Stilton. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is just always this kind of inherent horniness that seems tied to her mission. I don't understand why she needs it, but I applaud her for using all the tools in her toolkit. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I also like in this movie the moonwalk or or the the spacewalk. Like getting out on the ship mm-hmm. is such a visual and fun thing for them to yes. do. And something that they really don't get a chance to do ever, I think, you know. And it's like it reminds me of the the Star Trek the motion picture, like this very patient kind of fun moonwalk. And I feel like I think Star Trek probably as movies work as action films because this is a this is just set piece, set piece, set piece. There's no real theory about the Borg. The Borg, I'm assimilating culture. We're destroying culture. But here it's just like, we're going to destroy Earth so we could take over. There's no, nothing headier about that. Like, and I guess the, the biggest argument is how much do we sacrifice ourselves to, yeah. to kill them, I guess. Which interestingly comes out of Lily Sloan's mouth. Like that comes out of Alfred Woodard saying like, you didn't even try to save the sense and why are you not fighting harder to figure it out? And it's because for Patrick Stewart, for all of, you know, the next gen cast, for the audience who's been living with the next gen cast, we're like, it's a foregone conclusion. We're like, yeah, yeah, Borg bad, gotta kill the Borg. Borg gotta go. We've already decided that. So this doesn't have the same like ethical quandary, the wrestling of how to be a human that most of Star Trek has. And that's why it is like more of an action film, but it still is This is why Star Trek is not Marvel and is not Star Wars. God love those other franchises. But Star Trek can make an action sequence out of, because that thing you're you're talking about, the magnetic booting across the underside of the dish, the the set piece of that is we've got to press buttons on these individual panels Mm -hmm. fast enough so that we can stop these robots from doing a thing. And it's just like (laughs) guys punching into a thing and like, I don't know. I still just love how nerdy and heady and scientific it always is, even in the big action-y moments. Yeah. One of the things that sets Star Trek apart is that they do try to respect the science as much as possible. So even though they're doing fantastical things, they are like, most of the time they're checking, like, is this theoretically possible even? Yeah. You know, they're not just, they're not just saying, ah, whatever, this can do this and uh, this ship can do whatever, blah, blah, blah they give more of a shit about the science of it all than most sci-fi does. And I feel like that grounding also extends to the characters in this. Like I've found myself really moved by the idea of like going back, meeting your hero, meeting like our Abraham Lincoln, him being kind of a twerp or the pressure of being a person changing history. It, it, I mean, as weird as it is to see like James Cromwell in like a backwards ball cap being a bad guy being a rude dude or whatever that <laughs> very hard for me to put that personality on that face but but yeah the i like seeing the cast be sort of like lit up with hero worship around this guy which is an emotion that in my dabbling into the franchise i haven't seen much them being like oh, awe and reverence and like excitement and touching the ship seeing the size of space again through their eyes mm-hmm. and then seeing that weight on zephyrin cochran's shoulder i love that whole thing when he's like I just want to go to a tropical island and look at naked women. I was like, I bet Abraham Lincoln would say the same thing if you gave him the choice. I didn't, he couldn't even fly. Like if he could well, make that, it there, he would have loved it. That to me feels like the most fun thing that this movie does differently. Like there's a lot of time travel movies and oftentimes 
you go back to see someone that we know or someone that we have a preconceived notion of, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and this to have, it's a fictional character, so it can be whatever you want. And I love the fact that he is a fuck up and he could be a smart fuck up and, or he could be a drunk or he could be whatever. And, and it's so interesting to be like, oh, this moment maybe changed him and, and he became something different. But, you know, we do meet him as he actually was. I think that's one of the smarter things that they do in the entire film, just or just from a storytelling point of view. It's like, oh, that's fun. Yeah, he's now, not noble. Yeah. Yes. He wants to make money and be on a beach with nude women. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of work they did to get to this movie is interesting to me. I just you probably both know this, but Amy, I'll, I'll share it with you. You know, the original premise was a time travel movie going back to medieval times. What? Uh, yes. And the Borg ship was a castle. No. And there was going to be sword fights and everything because oh, they had gone, no. they had gone back to the history of invention and no. like it was like so the Borg the, the Borg ship was embedded in the earth as like a half assimilated castle of knights so the knights were Borg and uh, and Patrick Stewart Ooh. would be uh, having sword fights and they found it to be too campy so they yeah. they uh, they moved away from that which I'm so happy oh, <laughs> that they I- did. I dislike even hearing about that. I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. seeing that. My least favorite part of this movie is when they go on the holodeck. Look, I'm no I'm no Dixon Hill fan. I don't like yeah. the Dixon Hill episodes. Of no, Miami. I don't either. I just don't like that fake film noir gangster yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. But so seeing the Borg in that place with him, I was also just like, why couldn't he just pick up a regular phaser rifle and shoot him? Like, why did he need holographic bullets? Yeah. Whatever. I do want to hit this too. That's an option? You could make That's, the bullets yeah. real? yeah. Isn't that that's, wild? That's yeah. fucked up. Like, turn off that the safety is a, controls. <laughs> yeah. No. Wait, why? No, never. Why should never. Turn off safety controls. It should well, not what be doesn't an option. make sense to me. I always understood that in terms of like, yeah, other humans on the bridge. If you accidentally turn off safety controls, now the holodeck is dangerous because it it allows us to tell more complex stories. Like that's yeah. why they did that. Of course, they're, sure. they're always they're always ch- changing and undoing rules in Star Trek so that they can tell yeah. more interesting stories. But for a regular 20th century lead bullet to kill a Borg. It seems like the Borg would have figured out bullets. Maybe they're used to those phasers and they're just, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's part of it. I, I like the idea that it's such a it's such an ancient weapon yes. that it would be outside of their frame of reference. Like if it a musket bullet have... hit us, we would be really, in, I think, in bad shape. Uh, you know, or maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Worse than a current bullet? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I do agree with you, Paul. I think that that's the idea. It's like, oh, they haven't really been hit with like a piece of lead piercing their skin. Yes. And that may have fucked up some stuff. They have defenses against these light weapons, but not against actual physical stuff. Maybe the sword fights were a good idea, actually. (laughs) I mean, you're right. Worf did. He pulled out his mechleth and he did a little sword fighting. I honestly, I just think Patrick Stewart walked in on the screenwriter and was like, get me in a tux. Like somewhere <laughs> yeah. in this movie, I want to be. In a he does want to get me a tux. He did that in Picard <laughs> season two as well. Uh, yeah. I got I got to call out and wanted to see what you all think about uh, Lieutenant Hawk, uh, who is Neil wow. McDonough, uh, who just shows up on the bridge, mm-hmm. never been in the series, never introduced, and I do actually love the confidence in which it's like Lieutenant Hawk, you're with us. Like it's like, oh yeah, yep. wait, yeah, Lieutenant Hawk is <laughs> <Yep>. just subbed in. <laughs> He's our guy. He's with us. And uh, he's definitely not going to die because you care about him so much. You've watched him for seven seasons. He's just been just out of frame for seven seasons. He's been with us the whole time. Lieutenant Um, Hawk, when you see him, you know he's dead. Like, you know it's it's over. That was like uh, Adam Scott. Did y'all catch Adam Scott in the beginning? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in the Defiant. And Warship, yeah. Yeah, is he the pilot of the Defiant? So then I'm like, did he die or did he beam aboard before? Because I guess the Defiant was just... Well, this is a big argument, apparently, because uh, <laughs> they wanted to destroy the Defiant mm-hmm. in First Contact, and and they were like, "No, that's Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine, Nine was currently airing." Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's like, like that's our. We can't, we're, we're not going to like mess with that show. Like, just, right. just let it be a float. Let it be a drift. Yeah. <laughs> I think they do say like, "Oh yeah, it's it's a drift." That was the one. <laughs> right. The Borg were like, "Yeah, yeah, we don't need that." <laughs> but I'm also like, what was going on in season that would have been three, maybe four of Deep Space Nine? So heavy dimension war episodes where just like Worf and Adam Scott are flying about and had to go respond <laughs> to, this, to this distress call. What was well, that? Why were they over there? To me, it felt like they were like, we want to get Deep Space Nine characters in there and they're like, this is how much we'll pay you. And they're like, no. 
And they're like, okay, Adam Scott, will you work for scale for one day? And at that point, I'm sure he did. By the way, this movie, which I was actually really blown away by, from the start of the movie to its release, seven months. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wild. Yes. It's uh, one of the the shortest films to ever be made in that thing. They shot the movie in three months and then five months later or, you know, like that. But that's also because I think... This is the benefit of doing an hour long every week. It's like they had certain things in place that yeah. allowed them to move that quickly. Wow. I, uh, I also, I fully think that's Frakes. I've been directed by him and the man moves and I fucking love it because I don't like to <laughs> indulge. I always say I don't get better with more takes. I don't get better with more opportunities. If you see a good one, let's fucking get out of here because it's going downhill fast. And I think that's how he likes to work is just like if we get it. We're moving on. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm I'm impressed. I mean, it, like I just think that to do that as a director in a big franchise movie, and then and then immediately get put in movie jail in the next one, but that I don't think is his fault. Uh, I don't think so either. That makes me wonder if there's any people who like transition from directing soap operas to movies. A thing I've never thought to look wow. up until right now. Oh yeah. If you had to nominate one Star Trek film to go up to like to to represent everything that is Star Trek, and you could only pick one. Is this the one or is there a different one? I definitely think First Contact beats Wrath of Khan. I think it's interesting that a lot of these involve time travel. When they're when they're coming to contemporary Earth or what feels like contemporary Earth, it's so outside of they did that so rarely. I have a trick answer. And then- okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, I have a Kobayashi Maru answer, an unwinnable answer. Um, (laughs) But no, I do think that, look, I don't know uh, as much about like film the medium. So I wonder if someone like you all or someone else who's like a film expert would say technically Wrath of Khan is a better film. But I could see someone making that argument and I'd be like, sure. Uh, This, I think, is more fun and more mainstream and probably reached more people and is a little more accessible just because it's less old and it's a little, you know, Wrath of Khan is a little slow if you're watching it for the first time now. But my trick answer is, I will say that the best Star Trek movie is the yet unmade and unaired Deep Space Nine film that they are more than owed, that that cast and that yes. those storylines are more than owed because I that that show not only does it hold up now, I say better than any of the other treks. It 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 holds up to a rewatch, just functionally better because of the I serialized totally agree with nature. That. Because the series, like, like we're in, you know, all this talk about prestige TV nowadays, like, this is what we're doing now, is we're watching long arcs of TV, which Deep Space Nine created, and it largely flew under the radar because Trek fans at the time were racist and they hated that it was stationary. <laughs> they were like, what, the aliens come to them? How is this possible? I was in the camp of people that was at first, like, bored by Deep Space Nine because I think it was one of those shows that it took a little while, like Star Trek Next Generation too. Like, sometimes these Star Trek shows take a, like a beat when it clicked over, there was yep. no better show on TV. Mm-hmm. I and I love those characters, and I think yep. that that world was so rich. I'm a so huge good. Deep Space Nine fan. Yeah, and, and I love imagine the, way it the just the incredible place the series left us. If you haven't completed it, I won't spoil anything. But because <laughs> I want my mission in life is to get everyone to go back and do a yes. Deep Space Nine watch or rewatch. And and I do think that the way that Avery Brooks and those writers and producers intentionally left the characters. It, it wraps up the best out of any Star Trek series, but because it wraps up the best, I think it is ripe for a perfect movie that would really satisfy some, some just some longing that the fans mm-hmm. of that franchise have because, you know, we've been largely overlooked in modern Trek, and that's for a lot of reasons, but I, I really think that a movie for that show would be the best one because the themes and the topics that that show explored are the most prescient and topical now like the yeah. themes about racism the themes about class warfare the, the themes about war that stuff is the stuff we're talking about today and that that's present in deep space nine more than any of the other series yeah deep space nine was much heavier on the phi than the psi and and that's yeah. what made it that's what made it um so deep and so interesting and you had a different attachment to the characters because it was all about the stuff that they were going through and uh it was not so much about figuring out, you know, the the latest um issue that they were having with whatever technology or uh, type of alien or whatever. There was some of that, but especially starting with the second season, it really it really jumped into what it became. It's almost like its own show, you know, yeah. it, outside of 
outside of Star Trek. It to me the way I was describing it to a friend the other day was it's like Andor is to mm. uh, the mm-hmm. show that you guys don't mention Star Wars. It's like <laughs> Andor like exists on this other side. It's a, it's it's yeah. a great prestige drama that just happens to have the backing of a Star Wars world without it being. It's it's kind of I, I find a lot of similarities between the two because it mm-hmm. is about like, rebellion and war and who do, whose side are you on and it's a it's a much more nuanced show. Amy, what about you? Like, where do you fall? Like, you're, I mean, I know you haven't seen them all, but you know, is there one that you think is worthy as being like one of the best films ever made? Well, I mean, I do hear Tony's point that like, if you were looking at film as just a purely visual medium of like what is the more gorgeous one. Wrath of Khan is a really beautiful film. It's really, it really is beautifully made. It feels heavyweight, classic, gorgeous in that, in that way. As just getting plunged into something and like really having like an entire story that you can just watch and love and pop out and pop in that. I feel that first contact is better in that regard. But now while we're talking about like poverty and disease and war, where my brain really was going was like a conspiracy question that I wanted to throw out there, which is, you know, in here, there's that line, like after first contact, you know, within 50 years, poverty, disease, war, they'll all be gone. And it was making me think about how I feel like they've told us that aliens are here now, but we're not paying attention. It is the government just being like. Don't tell them about the first contact because we're making a lot of money off of poverty, <laughs> disease, and war. Uh, oh, maybe, maybe. At this point, I'm more than willing to believe that. <laughs> there is an Easter egg in this movie that people believe, and you can use your own judgment here, that the bartender in the bar on Earth is a Vulcan undercover, in disguise, like watching. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, there's there's a lot of conspiracy theories about that. I, I will say this. Wait, was the bartender wearing a knit cap pulled? Yes, I, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure he's covering over the those ears. Of the ears. Yeah, was covering, he also watching uh, I Love Lucy at the quarter? Uh, the I would never have guessed I was gonna say this. I have a connection to this movie. I have a connection to this cast. I have a connection to the old, you know, the original series. But on a movie basis, you could maybe argue that JJ Abrams Star Trek is the best movie because it truly does stand alone as a Mm. you don't have to have anything else any knowledge going in and i think the first contact has that as well to a certain extent you know i think wrath of khan you know these movies there's a little way in but that is a movie that was made to be a movie and maybe it's hard to find anything that extends out from a tv show into a film that doesn't Mm. feel attached to a text that hopefully you get more from like I get more from this because I'm like oh yeah I love these characters and I love this thing mm-hmm. and, and if you've never seen yeah. a Star Trek movie you don't know that Jordy wears a visor and this is the first time he has these ocular implants you just go oh that guy's got weird sci-fi eyes like and yeah. that's okay you know and so maybe this is a flawed film franchise because it can never really be what we love it to be it's just an extension of this these worlds yeah I think the the difficult thing about trying to categorize whether or not it's it's one of the great films is right. that I think when we think of uh, the great movies or whatever, we're thinking of something that was created out of whole cloth that's mm-hmm. like you're you're seeing this world for the first time. And that's part of the impact that it makes on you is right. that the the creative team of that movie is taking you to a place you've never been before. You're meeting these people in real time, so to speak. So there's no connection to an existing thing. And so the way that the characters are introduced, the way that the world is introduced is entirely unique to that movie. And yeah. it it makes it a little more special, I guess, you know? Yeah. You're like, when you think about, <laughs> I, had, I had a discussion with someone recently about, is your favorite movie a movie that you say, is uh, technically a great film that you also enjoy, mm. or is it just a movie that you could fucking watch anytime? This is my anytime, argument. Yeah. Like, well, I, you know? I am a big Letterbox fan. I love being on Letterbox because it's it's like fun social media. It's just people just posting what they watch. And when you look at the people's like lists of like these are my favorite movies, oftentimes like how many times are you sitting back and watching that? Like, I love two thousand and one. I think it's great. I'm not popping yeah. that in just nope. on the red. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like, yeah. so I have on that, I have like movies like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and, mm-hmm. uh, and like, uh, Back to the Future. Like, those are movies that I would like, oh, if that's on, I'm watching, I'm all yep. in. And I think that yeah. there's, and there's also this like weird mix of like, 
oh, well, that's not high art enough. It's like, well, mm-hmm. that's it's tricky. It's uh, like, but the, aren't but we watchable. supposed to enjoy things? I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, ready yeah. to wear. It's watchable. And that's how I feel about First Contact. And yes. I want to throw my support behind what you were saying about Star Trek 2009. I think that uh, JJ and Kurtzman and Orsi, who wrote it, did something really great, which is they made they made people in my generation kind of give a shit about the Kirk era. And I think that right. we as as staunch Trek fans don't always I find myself not always considering that film as important as it was purely because of the timeline divide. Yeah. The the, the separation of the timeline makes it so that those three movies stand alone and they don't affect other things that happen. So in my mind, I'm just like, oh, it doesn't quite matter as much because it's not affecting all the shows and movies that we're used right. to watching. Yeah. But what that also did was it allowed them to cast great big A-list, very cool actors in it and hopefully bring in a new audience to Trek. So mm-hmm. eternally grateful to 2009 for giving us all jobs. Any way you can get into Trek, get into Trek. And I will say if you're a fan of of uh, The Next Generation, Picard season three is a great, you don't have to watch season one. You don't have to watch season two. You can, but season three is a very standalone season that I think does a really wonderful send off of these characters. And all, and also I think Tani, to your point opens up the world, maybe for a possibility of getting, I would be very happy for a 10 episode season of deep space nine. Like give give me that. I would prefer that actually. And I think, after watching that Picard, I was like, oh, that's maybe the way to do these. It's like, mm-hmm. let me, because because what I got in Picard, to your point, Paul, is like, I got to see every character do something and be good at it. And like, and it, yeah. they came in for a reason and they had a moment and it was like fulfilling. It was like everyone had something to do. It was like Ocean's Eleven in a way. Like everyone's, <laughs> yeah. everyone's piece, you know, worked to the final end. I, I love getting to talk to you about this and this is a great uh, bet winning moment for me so thank you Paul <laughs> thank you Tawny. Uh the pod directive obviously comes out uh, every other Tuesday and you've had great guests on like Jonathan Frakes and Christopher Cantwell uh, John Hodgman Tikantaro obviously you can listen to Amy and I on the Wrath of Khan episode anything else you'd like to let our audience know about uh, obviously you're both uh, you're luminaries in the world of comedy and, uh, and you, you know like we all you know but uh, paul you're you're you've you've contributed to a new york times bestselling book right now uh, the comedy bang oh, bang book right. yeah you know <laughs> yeah. like this is it uh tawny uh, lower decks uh, i i would say uh, a diamond in the crown of star trek uh, oh, right now thank you we all three impartial people on this zoom about lower decks just three impartial <laughs> people <laughs> Um, yeah, no, thank you. I'm also, uh, I'm newly in the, uh, Starfleet Academy writers room. So that's been an incredible, I did not know that journey. That's exciting. It's been, it's been so great to get to play with these, a lot of these characters and new characters in a, in a totally different way. And, um, that's been really fascinating. Is that taking place in the 32nd century? 32nd century. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's, I can only say the things that were in the press release. So yes, that's when it is. Okay, got it. Okay. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's obviously weird right now with the writer strike. That room is obviously shut down. Paul and I are also off from the pod directive. So mm-hmm. if you tune in and you're looking for uh, new, episodes new episodes of that, you're going to get some reruns. But the reruns are great. Listen to Paul. Reruns and are great. Yeah, yeah we love go. a rerun. <laughs> 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 All right, Amy, that was awesome. I love talking to Paul and Tawny. Have they convinced you to maybe? Watch a little Deep Space Nine? They totally have. And if you swear I can just watch only season three of Picard. Oh, absolutely. Like, okay. absolutely, you can only watch season three of Picard. There's two things in it that might be helpful to know, which I'll tell you off air, but really, you're going to be fine. I didn't watch season one and season two. Um, I will just say, too, uh, for all you people out there that want to know, uh, Star Trek First Contact did have the highest rated uh, on Rotten Tomatoes uh, critical consensus. I know, Amy, you referred to that. 92% are positive, and it has just been marginally surpassed by, you guessed it, the J.J. Abrams film. Uh, so I thought this was really interesting. And it was also uh, nominated for Best Makeup, but lost to, can you guess what it lost to, Amy? <gasps> What? The Nutty Professor. Oh, I mean, all those Eddie Murphys? I mean, honestly, I'm not mad at it because that is pretty <laughs> much like a damn work of art. This movie did make $92 million. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a big one. Um, and Roger Ebert did say at this point it was 
his favorite and he thought the best one out there. So, Amy, what a pleasure. And just a reminder to everybody out there, if you've not gone to Podswag and gotten yourself a deck of unspooled playing cards, what are you doing? They're beautiful cards designed by the great Kim Troxel. And we keep this conversation going on our Discord. So go to discord.gg slash Paul You will see a whole forum devoted to talk and trek. A big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, our EPs, Cody Fisher and Colin Anderson, our MVP, Molly Reynolds, our theme song by Michael Cassidy, our fan art by Kim Troxel. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and follow us on Apple and also on Amazon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can hear past episodes of the show and bonuses like Screen Test on Stitcher Premium. And for the official API, that's the Paul and Amy Institute list of our favorite films that we've ever done from the show, you can head on over to unspooledpod.com. 